You are listening to the Lazy Equity Podcast, brought to you by Bobby Hayeri and Darren Venter, founders of the investors agency and Debar. With over 20 years experience in real estate between them and having bought hundreds, if not thousands of properties around the country, you are in the right place to learn all things property. This podcast is designed to educate and empower everyday Aussies to take control of their future through property. Hey guys, and welcome to episode five of the Lazy Equity Podcast. I'm super excited to have uh, Mike Morlock on the show today. I think you guys will get a ton of value coming up to our coming up to tax time, and we're going to talk about all the hot topics at the moment. Mike, thanks a lot for joining us. The pleasure. Episode five. I guess I get to be one of the OGs of the podcast. <laughs> I'm uh, I'm still I'm still learning as I go. So not like not like you. How many how many episodes in are, are you guys on your your podcast? It's been about four and a half years, so we're, I don't know, 140 or something like that. But if you listen to some of our earlier ones, which I encourage you not to do, the quality <laughs> is just absolutely shocking. But you're coming, you're coming strong straight out of the gate. So everyone will be beneficiaries of that. <laughs> well, we do the amount of like content I guess we put out on the socials. It's not it's not totally second nature. But look, let's uh, let's see how we go. Don't judge too harshly. Why don't you tell all the listen, listeners a little bit about yourself, who you are personally, professionally, and, and, and yeah, just let us know about that. Yeah, look, I'm a I'm a quantity surveyor. That's my trade. So people ask me what I do. It's a real pain for them because. Most people have never heard of a quantity surveyor, and then I have to go into a bit of an explanation. It'd be nice if I could just say fighter pilot or something like that, right? <laughs> of course, it's cool as well. But another way of putting it is that we estimate construction costs. We're the best people to, to say how much it costs to build something. My particular area of expertise, because there's a few different areas of quantity surveying, it's, it's in the tax depreciation side of things. So I prepare tax depreciation for property investors for both the residential side of things and also commercial industrial basically anything that's involved in producing an income that is that is a structure or a dwelling okay cool and i guess coming up to tax time why don't you explain to people what a tax depreciation schedule is how can people benefit i've actually got a question about this i don't know if it's a mortgage broking question or a question for you but i will ask you after you sort of explain a bit about <laughs> about this anyway yeah, no worries. So a tax depreciation schedule is is really just a report that shows the depreciation deductions that you can claim each financial year. So if you're on, say, $100,000 a year, you're going to be paying somewhere around $23,000, $24,000 worth of tax. Now, if you get a depreciation schedule that shows, say, $11,000 worth of deductions in one particular year, then your taxable income in the eyes of the tax office is 100 minus that 11, so about 89. And the tax you'll pay there is closer to that 90 to, no, sorry, the 19 to $20,000 mark. So it's around about $3,500 of tax savings by getting that's, that's in your pocket by getting that $11,000 depreciation deduction in the schedule. And where that deduction comes from is we estimate the construction cost and all of the components in the property like it might be the plant and equipment items as well, like ovens and cooktops and blinds, depending on where they qualify. And the tax office gives us percentages that we're able to look at the decline in value of assets over time. Because as you're renting out the property, it's a business as such, right? And a business expense is the property is, is declining in value because it's being used, right? It's no longer a brand new one. So the, the tax office allows you to claim deductions based on that decline in value. So you need a quantity surveyor to estimate the original values 
and then the decline in value over time. And that's really where your tax deduction comes from. Cool. And you mentioned like, let's just say we get $11,000 tax deduction or $11,000 in depreciation. It ends up being about $3,000, $4,000 in a tax deduction. Is that a general rule of thumb that you can use for like about 30% or 35% that you'd be able to claim back off your tax or is it dependent on each person's tax bracket and income and so forth? Yeah, we, we ran that as a little bit of a case study just using essentially the ATO's simple tax calculator, right? So you can go on that yourself online and say, this is how much my taxable income is. It'll ask you whether you're a full Australian resident and it'll tell you how much tax is payable based on whatever you learn. So There's no magic rule other than using things such as those ATO calculators, but the the higher the the rate of marginal tax, the greater the percentage of those deductions you'll get back in your pocket. So if you're on a 45% tax rate, you'll get more of those deductions back in your pocket than if you're on, say, a 37% marginal rate. Okay, cool. And I know Darren and I actually came and listened to you a few weeks ago at the Accounting Expo. Oh, I think it yeah, might have been yeah. a month ago now at the uh, at the Accounting Expo. So I should be I should be remembering, but because I didn't write it down, it's gone in one ear and out the other. Can you um <laughs> can you refresh my memory and the listeners' memory on um what age that property needs to be, or what's that what's the oldest that property can be? I know obviously it depends on whether the renovations have been done or not. But is there yeah. a general rule of thumb that that listeners can can look out for? What what I've come up with to try and simplify it as much as possible. And when I do presentations, to no matter who it is, I I like to share my my three triggers. So even if it's an accountant, I I like to give them the three triggers to explain to their clients. If it's a newbie to tax depreciation, the three triggers I think are a good guide telling you when you would benefit from a schedule. So the first trigger is if you buy a brand new property. Now that's probably obvious for a lot of people, but essentially what it means is the original building structure will qualify because it's brand new and you will get all the plant and equipment items like the air conditioning and the oven and the carpets and those sorts of things. Trigger number two is it's built after the cutoff date for depreciation claims on the original building structure. So the 16th of September, 1987 is actually the cutoff date. The property needs to have commenced construction. And I can see you've got your pen and pad there. So I'll tell you again, the 16th of the 9th, 1987. So if it's built after that date, it means you can claim the original bones of the building. So things like the timber frame and the concrete slab and the bricks and the roof. Now, if someone tells me I bought a a property and it was built in 1988, I don't really need to know, is it a house? Is it a townhouse? How many bedrooms is it? Because I know that it's likely that there will be enough value in the original bones for a schedule to work. So those are the first two. It's either brand new or if it's built after 1987, the original qualifiers. Now, a lot of people have have got this wrong idea that those are the only two reasons why you would get a schedule because if it's an older property, there's not going to be any value in it. This is where the trigger number three comes in. So if it doesn't match one or two, it's built prior to 1987, then we need to understand what's happened to the property because a property that was built in, say, 1986 is quite unlikely to be left in original condition. It's not great for the rent that you could achieve. A small renovation could make a huge difference. It's not good for pulling equity from it. It's not good for attracting the right type of tenant. So if the previous owner has done a bathroom or a kitchen or an extension, you're actually able to claim those components. We'll come in and we'll estimate that value. 
So whether it's the previous owner or yourself, if the property has had $40,000 or more spent on it, then $40,000 at 2.5% is $1,000 a year. So that's about the break-even point for a tax depreciation schedule. So that last trigger, I think, is really important and something that a lot of people miss. So just to, re- just to refresh that, because I think that's really important. So if, if the property is prior to 1987, but it has had more than $40,000 in renovation work, yep. then there is potential that that owner of that property is missing out on, on you know, a bit of tax depreciation if they're not getting a schedule done. Yeah, absolutely. And the, the $40,000 is, is the figure where we're sort of saying, look, most appreciation schedules are going to cost you six or $700. $1,000 worth of deductions might be $400 back in your pocket. So it's, it's close to a break even. And we're talking about in one year. These are 40-year reports. So if you've owned it for a couple of years, you'll get a back claim. If you're thinking of renting it out for another three or four, you, then, then that's a clear case for you. And you don't have to be able to estimate construction costs to know when 40 grand has been spent in a property. If you go into a property and it's completely renovated, then that's kind of an easy thing, right? $40,000 doesn't go a long way in construction anymore. And, you know, a kitchen can be worth more than that. Certainly, if there's a kitchen and bathroom, it's probably already in that. Yeah, that's what I was going to say. I mean, listeners should probably assume if it's done a kitchen and bathroom, probably assume that it's worthwhile in getting that tax appreciation report. And you said those reports are 40 years. For those listening, do, do and you said the the cost to get a depreciation report is is six or seven hundred dollars generally. Do they yep. do the do the people have to pay? Does someone have to pay that price every year, or it's a one off report which will last you know forty years? Yeah, I mean it would be great if we were in the the shaver shop business of quantity surveying, right? Those subscription models are great, but the good news for the consumer is that it's a one-off cost. So you you shouldn't really need to get another depreciation schedule done. The only time you would do that is if you're undertaking major renovations to the property, it might need a, another look. But even if you're adding one or two items, you can give those to us and we'll update your report free of charge. Or you can give those to your accountant to depreciate because the exact costs are known. So you don't need a quantity surveyor when you know that, let's say, you put it in a split system for $3,200 on a particular date, you can give that to your accountant. Okay, cool. Thanks a lot. Thanks a lot for sort of letting us know that. One of the questions that I had, and I think you may have answered it already, and like I said, it might be a mortgage broking question. And and I, I only do this podcast and get guests on to educate myself. I don't actually really care about the, get, really care about the listeners. So <laughs> um, We all know that's not true. You're too, you're too nice a guy. Despite the way I've seen you act around a barbecue, uh, you're too nice a guy. So, so the question I guess I had, and as I mentioned, I'm not sure if you're going to be able to answer this. With the tax depreciation schedule, obviously, you, you're going to pay less tax. Do the banks then look at from a servicing perspective, are you are you aware as to how the banks will look at that? Does it always? I mean, are there are there lenders that won't look at the depreciation and still lend you the money that you need based on your previous income? Do you know anything about that, or is that more a broken yeah. question? Look, I'd be surprised if if most mortgage brokers would would truly understand how much the banks take that into consideration. I mean, they've they've obviously got their key metrics that they're looking at, and they tend to look at things pre-tax rather than post-tax. But yeah, look, I'm not entirely sure how much they would factor it in. But certainly if I was in the in the situation where I was close to getting a loan across the line with the bank, 
you know, the cash flow side of things, the serviceability side of things is key, right? But, you know, when they're only taking in, say, 80% of, of your rental, then, you know, chances are that they're not going to worry too much about the tax depreciation. But that would be a good question to ask a mortgage broker. So that was a very long-winded way of saying, I'm not certain. Okay. Well, sorry to, sorry to throw you under the bus. I thought right. I'd ask the question. It's an answer that I'm, I'm dying to find out. All right. Well, thanks for, thanks for, I guess, filling, filling us all in on that. I think hopefully, you know, I've certainly gained lots of value and I'm sure the listeners will as well. In terms of something that's super relevant at the moment, I know the New South Wales budget just released their, well, New South Wales government just released their budget. And the, the biggest thing there for property investors is the um, stamp duty exemption slash annual tax. What are your thoughts on this exemption? What impacts do you think it's going to have? Do you think it's a good idea? I'd love to love to get yeah. your thoughts on that. My, my first thought is that politics has made me a little bit depressed over the last little while. I mean, I, I miss the days of Paul Keating telling people that they're shivers waiting or looking for a spine to run up, you know, like some of that <laughs> stuff is just quality gear. I commend them on on a bold sort of strategy, a, a bold bit of policy that's likely to be criticised in in different areas. I mean, the trouble I think with politics in in Australia is that we're always trying to get re-elected. You know, you you win an election and then you've got three years or whatever it is to to win the election again. So there's not a big incentive to make structural changes that might impact the next hundred years in a property in, in the property world. You know, we don't get projects like Snowy Hydro. You know, imagine a politician saying, we're going to do this and the payoff's going to be in 15 years, but it'll be worth it. You know? That's so, very true. Very, so very I true. Re- I really, really commend them on that. As for the policy itself, I think this is, uh, I mean, the government has said themselves, this is a, a test case to begin with because it's only for the first home buyers, but it, I expect this to be available to everyone down the track. And I, and I firmly believe that this is a test case for the country as well. I think the other states will look at what's happening in New South Wales and will look to, uh, to adopt this as well. I think my personal view is that it's a great, it's a great policy because it, it removes the number one hurdle for first home buyers getting into the market, and that's the deposit hurdle, right? So stamp duty is just that other extra cost that they have to be able to front up with the cash at the beginning. On an ongoing basis, it's much more manageable. I think the other thing that it really does is it increases the mobility of people. So we do have little old ladies in five-bedroom houses that want to move that aren't moving because of stamp duty. And if you think about it yourself, if you're in a house that's not fit for purpose, but you've sunk forty dollars or $50,000 into the stamp duty, if you leave, there's a real loss aversion, you know, because oh, yeah, I've spent that money and it's just kind of going in the toilet. So I think that's a really good thing. The last thing I would say about is that is that if people are wanting to tra- transact on property but can't, that that is putting a, a, a bit of a dampener on potential economic activity. Because if you think about a property transaction, there's a lot of people that get fed by it. You've got pest and building people, you've got maybe land surveyors, you've got real estate agents, you've got property managers, you've got buyers agents. There's there's a lot of people in and around the transaction. You know, solicitors and conveyances. That, that do actually uh, generate income from this. So it could actually be an unintended sort of economic positive from this as well. So I think it's a great policy, but I'd love to hear what you think as well, Bobby. I'm pretty much aligned with everything you mentioned. So, so I, was, I was explaining to someone else 
yesterday about this actually how how i think one of the big reasons they've done it is because there are so many people of the older generation who are sitting in their four or five bedroom homes that are pretty much empty and and, and now you know if people aren't losing four or five percent on buying another property it's going to be far easier to transact i also totally agree the amount of people that benefit from a property transaction i think it was definitely an intended and intended, I know you said that sort of there's going to be unintended sort of benefits to the economy. I reckon uh, Dominic Perrette is a smart, smart businessman. He's definitely pro-economy. I think he's definitely, you know, thought of these things and 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 it will it will increase the transactions of, of property in Australia. And you just mentioned the people that benefit from that. Yeah, um, I think you're right as well. I don't think he's a deal. Uh, he sounds like a bottle of champagne, actually. He's just got one of those. Uh, <laughs> Mr. Mr. Dom Perignon. It is a nice last name, isn't it? Perite. It's quite yeah. quite flows off the tongue quite nicely. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, so I look, I think it's definitely going to have um, uh, positives for for the economy. I think come January next year, when it does get released, I think we'll see a spike in the property market short term uh, in New South Wales. There's lots of people, obviously, that haven't been able to get in so far, and, and I do think we will see a spike as soon as that that does get released. If it was me personally, and I, I've sort of discussed this already as well, if I had the money ready set aside for the stamp duty and it was whether I should be waiting to, to, to purchase the property by paying the stamp duty or by doing the annual tax, assuming it's assuming you're not looking to flip that property, I would mm-hmm. definitely be paying, this is my personal opinion, I'll definitely be paying the stamp duty because I don't want to be paying the tax on that property when I'm 20, 30, 40 years time. If mm-hmm. I've got that money, I'd want to pay it now. I also think property prices will see a slight uptick in in properties will see a slight uptick when that does get released. So I'd rather get in before it and benefit from that capital growth. But time will sort of tell how, how that plays out. Yeah, I think time will tell as to what influence it has because, you know, we've had, uh, I think, somewhere just over a million first-home buyers get into the market in the last decade, which is crazy. It wow. seems like we'd have to almost run out at some point. But but you're right. If if you're going to hold that property for 30 years, you you can lock that stamp duty in once and forever at today's dollars, rather than continuing to pay it in 20 or 30 years dollars on that you know percentage of land value and the annual cost. So it's probably going to be a little bit cheaper. But you know on the on the flip side, if if it's your first home, it's unlikely to be your forever home. But it is dangerous to wait in the real estate game. You know, anytime people sort of say, "Oh, I'm going to wait for X, Y, Z to happen." Normally, the property market goes up. So if you do wait and the property market goes up 1%, that's way bigger than any saving that you might have anticipated anyway. So it's a, it's a tricky game. Yeah, and I, I definitely agree with you in a sense that uh, I think the other states will, will, will follow suit because mm-hmm. I think in the long run, it's obviously going to be far beneficial to the government as well. So I do suspect the other, the other states will follow suit. I'm pretty sure most of the United States have, have this annual tax uh, and I've had that had that for a while now. So, so look, interesting times. The other thing I wanted to um, the only other thing I wanted to touch or talk to you about was um, obviously you're dealing with those in the construction industry on a daily basis. You're dealing with them often. Uh, I'd love to hear what you're seeing on the ground. What is happening in the construction construction industry? I know supply issues have, have loosened a little bit, but um, but I'd love to yeah hear your thoughts on what's happening and and I guess how you think that's going to impact house prices as well. I think it, I think it's good to to have a, to go back a little bit with the story and and create a little bit of context at a time that I think people have sort of long forgotten. At the beginning of the pandemic, 
we really didn't know exactly what was going to happen and there were some doomsday scenarios. We were wondering whether we were going to have to start growing our own vegetables and buying a machine gun to protect ourselves. You know, like there, there was a real fear and you can see by the, the household savings ratio just kind of went through the, the roof. People were really battening down the hatches, right? And that has kind of influence some of the domestic in inflation pressure as well. We spent a lot of money doing renovations and going on holidays and that sort of thing. What, what actually happened in the beginning is that builders were looking to secure work in a very, un, you know, a, a very unsure environment. So they were contracting themselves uh, at pretty low margins just to secure a pipeline of work. Of course, these are almost exclusively going to be fixed price contracts. And when the materials prices went up because, you know, there were just, there were less people in timber mills, you know, it was harder to get materials from overseas. And a, and a lot of what we put into houses comes from overseas, probably the vast majority of it. That, that really caused builders to have a lot of trouble. And we've seen some massive builders go under and, and you know, go into talks of liquidation and that sort of thing. For, for some of the people that are looking at those short-term jobs, you know, people doing renovations and those sorts of things, they've been sort of sheltered from the risks of, a, of it a little bit. Of course, now people are trying to renegotiate contracts and I've even sort of said to people like, I, I would be uh, allowing your bill to, to re renegotiate with you to, to some extent because the alternative is they may actually go bankrupt and, and then that's going to be a cost to you as well. We're definitely seeing the the pace of the rise slow from my perspective. You know, a lot a lot of the as I mentioned before, timber mills and things have come back online. You know, there's, there's not the, the the global lockdowns that we saw at the height of the pandemic. But so when you say sorry, when you say the pace of the rise, you mean the the, the rise of co construction costs. Rise of construction costs. Yeah. 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 But there's you know there's a materials shortage so construction costs are going to be, I think, higher for, for quite a bit longer. It's not going to last forever, but the, the demand is is just crazy at the moment. We've been talking with um, you know companies that produce uh, timber framing and they're basically saying we could double our operations overnight and still not fill our orders, but they just don't have the materials to be able to do that. So it, it's it's the fastest pace of change in construction costs that, that I've seen in 15, 20 years um, that I've been in the game. And uh, look, I know no one has a crystal ball, but do you think do you think it's going to go back to prices of what it was before or do you think it's just going to go back, you know, I know it's gone up about 30%, 30, 40%. Yep. Do you think it's going to go back close to what it was before? Do you think it'll just go back 5 or 10%? Is it hard to sort, hard to answer? Yeah, it's it's definitely crystal ball stuff, you know, and 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 these this is the stuff where you go back and you search. What was that interview I did with Bobby? Because I actually accidentally turned out to be correct. Or <laughs> what was that interview with Bobby? Because I really want to try and bury that and make sure it's because I, <laughs> I was completely wrong. I, I don't think it'll go back to what it was before. I, I think that you know, you, just think about all of the goods and services that we're procuring at the moment as as individuals. Everything's kind of gone up. And with unemployment so low, um, the cost of producing these things or or these services with with staffing costs has gone up. So I think the costs will stay high for some time. They may they they may likely come back, but I don't think they'll go back to to the to those pre pandemic levels. Yeah, and, and that's one of the look. I, I tend to agree with you there, and that's one of the things that we are monitoring quite closely now when we're helping our clients buy in in, in certain markets. Previously. 
I mean, land scarcity is a big thing for us and, and, and we don't buy in areas where there is land scarcity, but we've had to sort of relook at the data and re-ask the questions from the economists because the reason we would never previously buy properties where there is lots of land scarcity is because obviously there can be an unlimited supply. What we're seeing now is that supply is, 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 ex- is coming on extremely slowly, but that supply is also now 20% more expensive than what it was two mm. years ago. So that new home that's being built, that's four bedroom on 500 meter squared or 600 meter squared is now being built at $700,000. Whereas, you know, two, three years ago, it may have been $500,000. So then we've got to relook at the data and think, well, is it actually a good opportunity to purchase a property where there is obviously, you know, we don't want too much land scarcity, but knowing that any new dwellings that come on the market are going to be 20, 30% more expensive. And also knowing that, that because they are so expensive, lots of buyers will, will then be leading towards potentially the more established side of things. So it has it has rejigged the way we look at the data and have to analyze the data as well. Yeah. And and we we analyze our own data that that we grab as well. Just just through, you know, having thousands of depreciation schedules come through our systems, we keep a a, a keep a close eye on property investor activity. We've certainly found units have decreased in popularity during the the pandemic. People are looking for a little bit more wide open spaces. And and another thing that I think you know, is at least in part credit to people like yourself is the distance that people invest from from where they live. You know, that doubled from the pre-pandemic levels to really the end of the pandemic to over 500 Ks on average buying from where they live. So it's little things like that that are kind of pointing to some structural changes that have happened as a result of the pandemic. I mean, here we are on Zoom and, and gosh, wouldn't it be great to buy Zoom shares uh, on the eve of the pandemic? <laughs> Apparently, there was a different company that also was called Zoom, had nothing to do with the Zoom that we know of, and their stock prices skyrocketed through the pandemic. (laughs) I wonder if the the majority shareholders woke up and and said, oh, I know what's happened, sell. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, So funny, so funny. Um, One of the things I saw, just as we start wrapping things up as well, one of the things that I saw on your website, which I think I think listeners will gain a lot of value from, and and I know this because we get asked this question pretty much 70% of the time from our clients that that have settled on a property or are settling on a property and want to insure their property. And we just touched on how construction costs have, have skyrocketed so much. So it's super, super important to be up to date with that. I saw something on your website that can sort of help, help people with that. Do you want to touch on that a little bit and how, how listeners can, can gain value from that? Yeah, look, the pre-pandemic, and, and it's important to highlight the timing here because construction costs have moved so much. Pre-pandemic, the Insurance Council of Australia were saying that 83% of homeowners were likely underinsured. And that's a, that's a huge number. And I expect that to be much worse given we've seen construction costs just going through the roof. Pace of change is, is, is unprecedented. That's a word we're all sick of hearing, right? So <laughs> we, we have um, really kind of launched into the insurance replacement cost space, which is a real kind of passion project of ours because we, we, you know, we hate the idea of, of people getting their, their homes destroyed and getting a tap on the shoulder from the, from the bank sort of saying, there's a shortfall here. here you, you're going to need to chip in to actually be able to reinstate this. And what people don't necessarily realise is they may know construction costs have gone up, but they don't necessarily realise that to, the cost to replace your property is is higher than the cost to build it. And what I mean by that is that if the, your property is damaged, it's not going to leave 
a nice flat level block with no debris. You know, there's demolition costs, there's cost escalations over the construction period. You know, there's preliminaries and consultants fees that need to be considered, you know, such as town planners and, and architects. What was built on your block may not comply with current legislation or it may be too close to the fence. So there's, there can be costs involved in all of those things. So that's what an insurance replacement cost report does. So we, we came up with a flat fee of $600 plus GST for any property under $10 million. And for anyone that's getting a depreciation schedule with us, we, we're basically offering that at $200 plus GST, um, basically at cost, just because we care so much about this and we want to try and make sure people are covered. So we do have a tax depreciation calculator on our website, which can give you some guidance around construction costs if you're chucking it in as a brand new property, but it won't include all of those cost escalations and the demolition and those things that I'm that I mentioned. So it's really important to get advice on that. Yes, you have to pay for that. I mean, people might not necessarily want to pay $600 to understand what they would be covered, uh, or that they would be adequately covered when they can go to a calculator on an insurance company. But I've got to say, we've analysed those calculators on real projects that we know the construction costs on, and and the variance is absolutely massive. So I would encourage people to to just try and understand and pull that apart and make sure that they aren't underinsured because that's a pretty devastating situation. And it seems like a look for two hundred an additional two hundred bucks if you're getting a um a tax depreciation schedule. It seems like a no brainer. Look, just for just for transparency with the listeners, we don't have any like financial partnership with you guys at all. We just work with you guys on a professional level. We love what you guys do. So so for the listeners there, there's no sort of benefit there at all in, in that regard. Where can the listeners? You mentioned your website. What is your website? I'll obviously put it in the um in, in the tags as well. Yeah, it's MCG, like the cricket ground, and then QS for quantity surveyors. So mcgqs.com.au. And I want to be clear as well. I mean, this I didn't come on here trying to flog our insurance replacement cost reports. I mean, that that's an option. Of course, we'd be delighted to help. But we, we do know that, you know, that, that's, a, that's a reasonable sum for, for money and, and not everyone's going to to have the means to be able to do that. But we just, we want to encourage people to understand what an insurance replacement cost is is built up of and just making sure. And, and certainly if you have an insurance broker or there's someone that you can provide, uh, that can provide some advice to you, it's just important to arm yourself with as much knowledge as you can. Cool, mate. Well, um, well, thanks for coming on. I hope uh, I hope you enjoyed it. I hope I was a good host. I feel like you did a better job than I did uh, a few weeks back. No, you're 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 a natural, and you're just you're way too humble. Although, like, <laughs> for you to come in and go, all right, like, let's do this. Don't waste my time. That would be a bit of a shock to the system. <laughs> Mate, well, Mike, thanks a lot for coming on. I certainly gained some value. I'm sure the listeners did as well. Look forward to chatting with you again soon. It's a pleasure. Thanks for having me, Bobby. Thanks for listening to the Lazy Equity Podcast. The advice given on this podcast is of a general nature only, and you should make your own decisions before taking any financial risks. If you would like to stay in touch with the show, join the Lazy Equity Facebook group or find the Investors Agency on Instagram and Facebook.